Fallacy. Appeal to authority. Also known as fallacious appeal to authority, misuse of authority, irrelevant authority, questionable authority, inappropriate authority, ad vericundium. Description of appeal to authority. An appeal to authority is a fallacy with the following form. 1. Person A is claimed to be an authority on subject S. 2. Person A makes claim C about subject S. 3. Therefore, C is true. This fallacy is committed when the person in question is not a legitimate authority on the subject. More formally, if person A is not qualified to make reliable claims in subject S, then the argument will be fallacious. This sort of reasoning is fallacious when the person in question is not an expert. In such cases, the reasoning is flawed because the fact that an unqualified person makes a claim does not provide any justification for the claim. The claim could be true, but the fact that an unqualified person made the claim does not provide any rational reason to accept the claim as true. When a person falls prey to this fallacy, they are accepting a claim as true without there being adequate evidence to do so. More specifically, the person is accepting the claim because they erroneously believe that the person making the claim is a legitimate expert and hence that the claim is reasonable to accept. Since people have a tendency to believe authorities, and there are in fact good reasons to accept some claims made by authorities, this fallacy is a fairly common one. Since this sort of reasoning is fallacious only when the person is not a legitimate authority in a particular context, it is necessary to provide some acceptable standards of assessment. The following standards are widely accepted. 1. The person has sufficient expertise in the subject matter in question. Claims made by a person who lacks the needed degree of expertise to make a reliable claim will, obviously, not be well supported. In contrast, claims made by a person with the needed degree of expertise will be supported by the person's reliability in the area. Determining whether or not a person has the needed degree of expertise can often be very difficult. In academic fields, such as philosophy, engineering, history, etc., the person's formal education, academic performance, publications, membership in professional societies, papers presented, awards won, and so forth, can all be reliable indicators of expertise. Outside of academic fields, other standards will apply. For example, having sufficient expertise to make a reliable claim about how to tie a shoelace only requires the ability to tie a shoelace and impart that information to others. It should be noted that being an expert does not always require having a university degree. Many people have high degrees of expertise in sophisticated subjects without having ever attended a university. Further, it should not simply be assumed that a person with a degree is an expert. Of course, what is required to be an expert is often a matter of great debate. For example, some people have and do claim expertise in certain, even all, areas because of a divine inspiration or a special gift. The followers of such people accept such credentials as establishing the person's expertise while others often see these self-proclaimed experts as deluded or even charlatans.
In other situations, people debate over what sort of education and experience is needed to be an expert. Thus, what one person may take to be a fallacious appeal, another person might take to be a well-supported line of reasoning. Fortunately, many cases do not involve such debate. 2. The claim being made by the person is within her area of expertise. If a person makes a claim about some subject outside of his area of expertise, then the person is not an expert in that context. Hence, the claim in question is not backed by the required degree of expertise and is not reliable. It is very important to remember that because of the vast scope of human knowledge and skill, it is simply not possible for one person to be an expert on everything. Hence, experts will only be true experts in respect to certain subject areas. In most other areas, they will have little or no expertise. Thus, it is important to determine what subject area a claim falls under. It is also very important to note that expertise in one area does not automatically confer expertise in another. For example, being an expert physicist does not automatically make a person an expert on morality or politics. Unfortunately, this is often overlooked or intentionally ignored. In fact, a great deal of advertising rests on a violation of this condition. As anyone who watches television knows, it is extremely common to get famous actors and sports heroes to endorse products that they are not qualified to access. For example, a person may be a great actor, but that does not automatically make him an expert on cars or shaving or underwear or diets or politics. 3. There is an adequate degree of agreement among the other experts in the subject in question. If there is a significant amount of legitimate dispute among the experts within a subject, then it will be fallacious to make an appeal to authority using the disputing experts. This is because for almost any claim being made and supported by one expert, there will be a counterclaim that is made and supported by another expert. In such cases, an appeal to authority would tend to be futile. In such cases, the dispute has to be settled by consideration of the actual issues under dispute. Since either side in such a dispute can invoke experts, the dispute cannot be rationally settled by appeals to authority. There are many fields in which there is a significant amount of legitimate dispute. Economics is a good example of such a disputed field. Anyone who is familiar with economics knows that there are many plausible theories that are incompatible with one another. Because of this, one expert economist can sincerely claim that the deficit is the key factor while another equally qualified individual could assert the exact opposite. Another area where dispute is very common and well known is the area of psychology and psychiatry. As has been demonstrated in various trials, it is possible to find one expert that will assert that an individual is insane and not competent to stand trial, and to find another equally qualified expert who will testify under oath that the same individual is both sane and competent to stand trial. Obviously, one cannot rely on appeal to authority in such a situation without making a fallacious argument. Such an argument would be fallacious since the evidence would not warrant accepting the conclusion. It is important to keep in mind that no field has complete agreement, so some degree of dispute is acceptable. How much is acceptable is, of course, a matter of serious debate. 
It is also important to keep in mind that even a field with a great deal of eternal dispute might contain areas of significant agreement. In such cases, an appeal to authority could be legitimate. 4. The person in question is not significantly biased. If an expert is significantly biased, then the claims he makes within his area of bias will be less reliable. Since a biased expert will not be reliable, an argument from authority based on a biased expert will be fallacious. This is because the evidence will not justify accepting the claim. Experts, being people, are vulnerable to biases and prejudices. If there is evidence that a person is biased in some manner that would affect the reliability of her claims, then an argument from authority based on that person is likely to be fallacious. Even if the claim is actually true, the fact that the expert is biased weakens the argument. This is because there would be reason to believe that the expert might not be making the claim because he has carefully considered it using his expertise. Rather, there would be reason to believe that the claim is being made because of the expert's bias or prejudice. It is important to remember that no person is completely objective. At the very least, a person will be favorable toward her own views, otherwise she would probably not hold them. Because of this, some degree of bias must be accepted, provided that the bias is not significant. What counts as a significant degree of bias is open to dispute and can vary a great deal from case to case. For example, many people would probably suspect that doctors who were paid by tobacco companies to research the effects of smoking would be biased, while other people might believe or claim that they would be able to remain objective. 5. The area of expertise is a legitimate area or discipline. Certain areas in which a person may claim expertise may have no legitimacy or validity as areas of knowledge or study. Obviously, claims made in such areas will not be very reliable. What counts as a legitimate area of expertise is sometimes difficult to determine. However, there are cases which are fairly clear-cut. For example, if a person claimed to be an expert at something he called chroma bullet therapy, and asserted that firing painted rifle bullets at a person would cure cancer, it would not be very reasonable to accept his claim based on his expertise. After all, his expertise is in an area which is devoid of legitimate content. The general idea is that to be a legitimate expert, a person must have mastery over a real field or area of knowledge. As noted above, determining the legitimacy of a field can often be difficult. In European history, various scientists had to struggle with the church and established traditions to establish the validity of their disciplines. For example, experts on evolution faced an uphill battle in getting the legitimacy of their area accepted. A modern example involves psychic phenomenon. Some people claim they are certified master psychics and that they are actually experts in the field. Other people contend that their claims of being certified master psychics are simply absurd since there is no real content to such an area of expertise. If these people are right, then anyone who accepts the claims of these master psychics as true are victims of a fallacious appeal to authority. 6. The authority in question must be identified. A common variation of the typical appeal to authority fallacy is an appeal to an unnamed authority. 
This fallacy is also known as an appeal to unidentified authority. This fallacy is committed when a person asserts that a claim is true because an expert or authority makes the claim and the person does not actually identify the expert. Since the expert is not named or identified, there is no way to tell if the person is actually an expert. Unless the person is identified and has expertise established, there is no reason to accept the claim. This sort of reasoning is not unusual. Typically, the person making the argument will say things like, I have a book that says, or they say, or the experts say, or scientists believe that, or I read in the paper, or I saw on TV, or some similar statement. In such cases, the person is often hoping that the listeners will simply accept the unidentified source as legitimate authority and believe the claim being made. If a person accepts the claim simply because they accept the unidentified source as an expert, without good reason to do so, he has fallen prey to this fallacy. As suggested above, not all appeals to authority are fallacious. This is fortunate since people have to rely on the experts. This is because no one person can be an expert on everything and people do not have the time or ability to investigate every single claim themselves. In many cases, arguments from authority will be good arguments. For example, when a person goes to a skilled doctor and the doctor tells him that he has a cold, then the patient has good reason to accept the doctor's conclusion. As another example, if a person's computer is acting odd and his friend, who is a computer expert, tells him it is probably his hard drive, then he has good reason to believe her. What distinguishes a fallacious appeal to authority from a good appeal to authority is that the argument meets the six conditions discussed above. In a good appeal to authority, there is reason to believe the claim because the expert says the claim is true. This is because an expert, who is a legitimate expert, is more likely to be right than wrong when making considered claims within her area of expertise. In a sense, the claim is being accepted because it is reasonable to believe the expert has tested the claim and found it to be reliable. So, if the expert has found it to be reliable, then it is reasonable to accept it as being true. Thus, the listener is accepting a claim based on the testimony of an expert. It should be noted that even a good appeal to authority is not an exceptionally strong argument. After all, in such cases a claim is being accepted as true simply because a person is asserting that it is true. The person may be an expert, but her expertise does not really bear on the truth of the claim. This is because the expertise of a person does not actually determine whether the claim is true or false. Hence, arguments that deal directly with evidence relating to the claim itself will tend to be stronger. Examples of Appeal to Authority 1. Bill and Jane are arguing about the morality of abortion. Bill. I believe that abortion is morally acceptable. After all, a woman should have a right to her own body. Jane. I disagree completely. The doctor says that abortion is always morally wrong, regardless of the situation. He has to be right. After all, he is a respected expert in the field. Bill. I've never heard of that doctor. Who is he? Jane. He's the guy who won the Nobel Peace Prize in physics for his work in cold fusion. Bill. I see. Does he have any expertise in morality or ethics? Jane. I don't know, but he's a world-famous expert, so I believe him. 2. 
Dave and Kintaro are arguing about Stalin's reign in the Soviet Union. Dave has been arguing that Stalin was a greater leader while Kintaro disagrees with him. Kintaro I don't see how you can consider Stalin to be a great leader. He killed millions of his own people, he crippled the Soviet economy, kept most of the people in fear, and laid the foundations for the violence that is occurring in much of Eastern Europe. Dave Yeah, well, you say that. However, I have a book at home that says that Stalin was acting in the best interest of the people. The millions that were killed were vicious enemies of the state, and they had to be killed to protect the rest of the peaceful citizens. This book lays it all out, so it has to be true. 3. I'm not a doctor, but I play one in the hit series Bimbos and Stud Muffins in the O.R. You can take it from me that when you need a fast-acting, effective, and safe painkiller, there is nothing better than Morphe Dope 2000. That is my considered medical opinion. 4. Joe and Jim are having a conversation. Joe. I played the lottery today, and I know I'm going to win something. Jim. What did you do? Rig the outcome? Joe. No, silly. I called my super psychic buddy at the 1900 mind power number. After consulting his magic Californian tarot deck, he told me my lucky numbers. Jim. And you believed him? Joe. Certainly. He is a certified Californian master mind psychic. That is why I believe what he says. I mean, like, who else would know what my lucky numbers are?